love for you to grab it. We're going to be in the book of Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. We're going to continue into looking at our essentials and what we believe as a church. Um, and I'm going to tell you some things that may be shocking um, about our beliefs how they're being challenged in our culture, but I'll get to that in just a second. And I'm going to tell you that because I want you to understand the why behind we are doing this. Why is this so important? And it's because there is such an, an attack on just our essentials as believers uh, in Christ. So before we get all into the weeds of that, let's get into what the word of God says, before I even get into the Word of God, let me just say we believe in the Word of God, and this is how we started this particular series, because our authority rests upon the Word of God. It is what we stand upon. I saw a, um, not that I'm a Facebook police kind of guy, um, don't be worried, I ain't, I ain't policing your Facebook, you post what you want. But this person back in Georgia, where I'm from, posted something. It was like a meme, and it had a crowd of people with Bibles in their hands, and then it had Jesus. And Jesus said to the people, um, you, base what, you base your idea of love, and you base it off of the Bible. I base what love is based off of what I say. And I thought, that's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard in my life. Because the word of God is the word of Jesus. And so what you see in our society is this thing called deconstructionism. Deconstructionism is not a bad thing when it comes to if you have a bad doctrine, you need to deconstruct that bad doctrine and shape it and reconstruct it into what is aligned in the word of God. But oftentimes what you find people who are a part of or who are like just kind of in that kind of deconstructionism in their life is many of them fall away from the faith. And so this particular meme was, a, was posted by this person who it was made by this guy called the Naked Pastor. Have you ever heard of the Naked Pastor? Stay away from the Naked Pastor because he deconstructed and now says that the Bible is not the authority of the word of God. It's not the authority that we stand on. It's not inspired. God breathed. So then what is your authority? What do you base life upon? What do you base morality upon? What do you base your particular religion on? And so what you have is a deconstruction idea in America of, well, I'll just kind of form it and shape it into however I want it to be formed so it fits my mold and no longer you have an absolute truth, but now you have just truth is relevant and truth is whatever you want it to be. That was a long introduction to tell you that we believe in the Bible. Colossians chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. He is Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rules, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he, Jesus, is before all things, and, he, and in him all things hold together. 
And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. I want to talk about and ask you who is Jesus and why we believe in Jesus. But before we get into the weeds, let's pray. Father, again, I thank you for just who you are. I'm in awe of your goodness and all of your grace. The weekend I had, I, I could be in the grave right now, but you had other plans. The weekend that some of us have, the reports from the doctors that some of us have gotten, they may feel weighty, They may feel big, but you're bigger. And so we put our trust in you, O holy God, and we ask that you would help us and shape us and mold us with your word. Your word is life. It brings life, and it brings light into the dark areas of our hearts. And I pray that you would expose that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Who is Jesus? And we think about that question, why do we believe in Jesus That's the question I want us to focus on. And again, I want to come through the lens of what does the Bible say, because the Bible, again, is our authority. Jesus is the most influential man, God-man, that has ever walked on this earth. You have a man who lived by every religious account, every religions out there will account, there is A man named Jesus, ours is the one who calls him that he is the deity, the God-man who dwelled among us with flesh on. He is the most influential person. In fact, everything in life, as a result of Jesus' influence, many good things have happened. Jesus' teachings on equality for everyone had an impact on culture. In fact, Romans would kind of counter Jesus's teachings on things like equality, children, um, philosophy, women, compassion. And I just want to give you a few examples of how Jesus countered, and really the Bible countered the Roman thought of the world. Jesus's teaching on equality changed our culture, but uh, Cicero, one of the writers of Rome, said that rank must be preserved by any means necessary. Paul would say in the Word of God in Galatians chapter 3, there is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave, nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. That's the best definition of equality. Don't let social people tell you the other definition of equality. You are all one, if you are in Christ, in Christ. Seneca of the Roman Empire, the Roman philosopher says, we drown every children who at birth are weakly and abnormal. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 14, let all children come to me. The Roman letter found in Rome says of women that if you are delivered of a child, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, discard it. In Luke's gospel 23, 27, a large number of people follow Jesus, including women. Christians established because of the influence of Jesus Christ, they established the hospitals. They are the ones who established the first homeless shelters because of the influence of this influential man, God, Jesus. 
they are the ones who started the first orphans for orphanages for the orphans. They are the ones who started the first outreaches to the prisoners. We find this, how the early church was reaching out and aiding Paul as he was in prison, writing the words of the Lord. They are the ones who would outreach to hospital patients, soldiers, and the first societies for the prevention of human cruelty. All because there was at some point, historically speaking, a man named Jesus. But we find ourselves in a culture today where the the deity of God is under attack. And this isn't anything new. This is something that Paul is countering in his letter to the church of Colossae. He is countering this thought of Gnosticism. Gnosticism was creeping up into the early church where Gnostics would say that there are multiple ways to God. And they would say that Jesus wasn't the deity. Jesus wasn't the God man. Jesus was just an angel. They would say things like this and it would try to infiltrate the church But Paul would write this poetic poem to the church of Colossae to, in fact, defend the deity of Jesus Christ. Likewise, we find ourselves here 2,000 years later defending the deity of Jesus Christ, not just in the state in which we live in, the geographical state in which we live in, fighting, defending being on the offense of who Jesus Christ is, that he is God, he is God in the flesh. But it is all over the world, all over the globe, the attack of Jesus in his Godheadness is on full display in China, right now in China, where it is illegal to be an anti-state church member. This, the Communist Party of China is releasing their version of the Chinese Bible. And in the Chinese Bible, they are stripping the deity of Jesus Christ. And the Chinese government is trying to oppress the Christians, trying to, um, uh, try to infiltrate their way of thinking so that they will not believe that Jesus was God. For example, in John chapter 8, we get the story of the woman who was called an adultery. She's thrown at Jesus' feet, and all the religious leaders, you know this, right? All the religious leaders, like, it's a sin. This woman deserves to be stoned. And Jesus looks at them and is like, all right, uh, which one of you jokers, and this is Matthew's translation, which one of you jokers, like, like are without sin? Like, you are batting at a 1,000 24-7, and they all look at each other like, ah, well, I mean, I was sinning. I mean, I was the moron who caught the girl in adultery. Ever thought how weird that was? Peeping Tom. Oh, freak of a person. And so what do they do? They, take, they have their stones and they're ready. They are ready to stone this girl to death. But Jesus' words stops them dead in their tracks. And Jesus looks at the girl and he's like, girl, you better go and sin no more. But here's what the Chinese Communist Party is doing. They're taking that scripture. And instead of saying, Jesus tells them this, Jesus says, he looks at the girl. He says, I'm also a sinner. And he stones her to death. 
oh, but you know, there's no attack on Jesus and who he is. Meanwhile, our brothers and sisters in China are being waterboarded and fed the propaganda of the Socialist Communist Party of China. And I raise this issue because that's China, right? And that's just overseas. And we're over here in our American way of life where we have and we, we, we love our religious freedoms. But no government lasts forever. How will you be able to defend the deity of Christ Jesus if God calls you to China? Would you be able to agree with the propaganda of the Communist Party of China? You would think I'm like some kind of spokesman for anti-communism of China, but it's also the woke culture of America that's attacking who Jesus Christ is. Oh, Jesus was equitable and inclusive, and he would, would want everyone, in fact, one pastor in our neighboring northern country who seems to be going down in flames right now, one pastor up there in Canada um, says that Jesus was trying to um, affirm and transgender himself because he washed his disciples' feet. And that was something that only women do. So Jesus was, in fact, trying to make himself a transgender. And that's, that's in, again, Canada, but these wokisms are in our American church already. Who is Jesus and why do you believe in him is a very critical point because if you get it wrong, you get all of it wrong. John is, Paul rather, this is almost a continuation of John's gospel where John is fighting and contending for the deity of the Godhead of, of Jesus Christ. Paul here is writing and talking us and taking us through this theological Christ-centered poem that cuts to these false narratives of who Jesus really is. Let's look at the text one more time. He is the image of the invisible God. How can something invisible have an image? In Greek philosophy, however, the image is said to be the reality. Jesus is the image, and we are in the image. Those are two distinctly different things. Because many would say, well, I am Jesus, right? You have those kooks that come up every now and then. Or you can be Jesus, you can be a God. No, you are in the image of God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In Christ, we see who God is. We see who God is. He is the creator and the redeemer, as well as a visible representation of who God is. So when the writer here says that he is the image of the invisible God, he is saying he is an exact replica, representation of who God is. You want to know what God looks like, although God is a spirit, you look at the face of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. He is merciful. He's kind. He is confrontational. That's the Jesus we don't like, but Jesus would always confront those religious jokers, and that's always my favorite parts of the scriptures and gospels. Where Jesus like, you bunch of brood of vipers. 
I mean, that's like the equivalent of me coming up before you saying, you bunch of morons. Like, I like that Jesus right there. Maybe a little too much, and that's probably the sin inside of my heart. Don't judge me. He is the image of the invisible God. He's also the firstborn of all creation. Do not miss this. Many heresies have birthed out of this particular scripture. We usually associate the term firstborn with birth, and it implies to us a birth of the first child. We see that particular meaning in Luke's gospel when Jesus is the firstborn of Mary. But do not be confused. And do not mislead uh, people into thinking that Jesus was the created being. In fact, Paul's usage here has quite a different sense. In both the Old Testament, this title expresses status. In fact, it appears in Psalm 89, 27 as the title of sovereignty. He says, I will appoint in 89, 27 of Psalm, I will appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. God also uh, bestows this title on Israel because of her divine election. Israel is my firstborn child. Was Israel the first child in a birthing sense? No. Jesus was not the first child in a birthing created sense. Paul is saying Jesus outranks all creation. It is a title of sovereign ranking that he is above all and he has preeminence over all things. He is not a birthed created being that God created up in the heavens. No, Jesus was with God at the beginning of all of this, and he has authority over all things. By him, see what it says, because by him, through him, and for him, all things were created. Now this talks about the preeminence over all creation. Christ has this Precedence is a better way to say that we can understand over all things in terms of time, in terms of status, and as kind of a divine glue that has kind of stuck all of this together through Jesus Christ. God didn't just simply start things off and then just kind of withdrew from his creation. No, Christ continues to sustain all things by him, through him, for him, all things were created. He is the basic operating principle controlling all of existence. He is the created, he is the word that was spoken in the beginning that created all things. So how was then he created if he was the creator? You can't have that thing because it's at odds with each other. He is creator because all things were created for him, by him, and through him, and they all are sustained by Jesus Christ. The things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, authorities, um, that was like Medea, okay, um, or authorities were created by him. So he crushes 
anything that is opposed to his power. He crushes anything that is opposed to his sovereignty and opposed to him. And then, so this is a a major macro look at who Jesus Christ is. That Jesus created all things for him, by him, through him. That Jesus is the the image of the invisible God. He is the, the... the reflection of who God is. This is who Jesus is. It's a macro, theologically deep idea of who Jesus is. And then Paul is going to say, okay, if he's over all things, he sustains all things, look what he does for us. And he gives us a micro view of who Jesus is because he says, and he is the, what? The head of the church. Jesus, as the one who is creating, as the one who is doing all things, sustaining all things. He, not like, like, like sometimes our view of God, we think God just kind of backs up and just have at it, people. This is not what God does. This is neither what Jesus does. He is also involved in the affairs of his church. He is the head of of the church. He goes from this big view of God now to this micro view, how he is supreme over all things. And Jesus is the head over the church, the capital C church, right? The church that Jesus said in Matthew 16, uh, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the church that Jesus said, I'm building. And if Jesus said these things, then he does not fail And there was ever no need for this restoration of a church because it's always been his church. He's always been over it. There has never been a moment in the past 2,000 years where Jesus wasn't the head of the church. Has the church fallen away at some point and maybe maybe given itself some self-inflicted wounds? Yeah, probably. I mean, we have church hurt in here, I'm sure. But that doesn't mean that Jesus isn't the head of the church and that it's still his church. It just means you're part of some sinful people and people get it wrong sometimes. But his church doesn't fail because Jesus doesn't fail. He is the head. He is the the shepherd over all things. Like, I'm giving, I've been given by God a very small, small, like, role in this as a pastor. Elders have a role in this. You have a role. The leaders of this church, we all have a role, but ultimately we're not the head of this church. I don't submit myself to some bishop. I don't submit myself to some pope or whatever that means. I don't submit myself to anyone because my governing authority is Jesus Christ. He is over and he is the head of this church. This is how things get really, really weird in our history with the church, where Catholicism, Roman Catholicism, got things really wrong because you had all of these funnels where you would have to go to this person to get to this person to get to the cardinal, to the bishop, and then finally, if you made it by then, you can get to the pope because the pope had the final authority, even the authority over the word of God. And you still have dysfunctioning religions practicing these same things. 
But Jesus is the head of this church. He defines what the church is. He defines how we govern it. He defines, his word defines how we do life with each other. This means that if, if I'm not in the equation, Jesus is the head of the church. If you're not here, Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus' church is not about you particularly. It's about him. It's his church. He is the head of the church. And then he is the firstborn from the dead. Not only is the head of the church, but he is the source of new life for others. This is why in John 14, 19, he says, because I live, you also might live. Christ, the preeminence over the dead so that even the dead things can come to life and that he would still rule over them. He is also preeminent or that first ranking of place. Like our lives and our world may be in chaos right now, but he is still preeminent over your situation. He is still, as I've often said, governing in the chaos of this world. He is still preeminent regardless of what your situation is. He is the preeminent. And I like this last part, in the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace. Man, that's so critical, by the blood of the cross. This is the gospel message, right? Anytime you would see blood, this is a warring type of violence that the, that the Bible is um, inserting into the scripture. So there was this blood that had to be spilled so that, why? We could have peace with God. And not only through this blood, but he also presents the idea of the cross of Christ, that this criminal's cross, that Jesus who lived a perfect, sinless life, despite what others may want to feed you. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, despite what others may want to tell you. His blood was shed because there had to be a sacrifice to be made. And so Paul is wrapping up this poem with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That this gospel is about Jesus. This is who Jesus is, and this is what he did. He spilled his blood. He hung on the criminal's cross and absorbed the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. This is who Jesus is. Jesus is preeminent. He is over all things and would take our place on a criminal's cross so that we would not have to endure the wrath of God on the day of judgment. Jesus did that. Like, you can't do that. Like, you can't in your own good works, like, like bring yourself to God and be like, you know, God, I did this. I was a good person. I, I didn't cheat on my spouse. You know, I only cussed out that one driver pulled out in front of me, but he deserved it. You know, and I've done all these good things, so surely I can enter into it. And yet the Bible would say time and time again, like your goodness is nothing when it's compared to the righteousness of God. And that seems like bad news, right? 
Like think about last week in our conversation about God, how God is wrathful and how God is just. But, and that seems like it's bad news, but the hope in that is the mercy of God. And the hope in this is the grace of Jesus who demonstrates the mercy of God, who is that image of the mercy of God, who would take your place so that when you go before the Father, Whenever that is, I mean, it can be today, it can be 20 years from now, 50 years from now. When you stand before a holy and righteous God, God does not see your good works, nor does he see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that's really good news. If I was in a charismatic church, somebody would have said amen right there. Because that gives us this hope and it lifts this weight off of me, this weight of performance, this weight of, well, I've got to be successful because that's what culture's telling me to do. I've got to do all these things and it lifts that weight off of us. No, all you need to do is just rest in the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And from that grace and rest of his mercy will spring out of you to want to Go and make disciples and do the commission of Jesus Christ. Just a couple of questions. Dude, it's hot in here, man. I don't know if I'm preaching hard. Y'all just staring at me and giving me your like your warm air. Just stop breathing for a minute so I can breathe. All right. Whew. Yes, I am like this all the time. All right, just a few questions and then I'll be out your way because that popcorn's popping and making me hungry. First thing, like when you think about the supremacy of God and how it manifests itself and, and how Jesus Christ is above all things and supremely over all things, like think about that. Uh, is our church, right, if he's the head of our church, are we reflecting Jesus? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Like, like in a sense, like are we reflecting who Jesus is out into our culture. And there's a few ways you do that. I mean, obviously you want to be the people who are known for being graceful, who are being um, merciful, who are, who are showing love, who are the participants in history, who are caring for the orphans, the widows, and all of that great deeds. Yes, we want to do that. But also are we the, the people who are, who are just speaking the truth? And don't forget the caveat in that, in grace and love. You know, I'm not calling you to be people of, the, you, know, you know, like the jerk people who are pointing their face and go, who are the Facebook police, right? Like I saw that post you did, you know, 20,000 word, like comment, like nobody cares. Like don't be that guy. But are we being the people who are, if, if truth is on the table, are we presenting it in a graceful and, and loving way? Because in the end, truth has to be known, Right? And we, we have a world where the truth is just, you know, whatever your truth is, that's truth. But, but the truth of God has to be made known. That's how are they going to hear the word of God? I could ramble on that forever. But is our church reflecting Jesus Christ? Another thing that from this text about who Jesus is, is like, like where are we placing our hope at, right? The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. You will not find fullness in anything else. Sex, power, money, relationships, you know, worldly success, those things will not give you that satisfaction that you just think, because you're smarter than everybody, right? 
Like, preacher, you don't know me. I know what I need to find fulfillment and satisfaction. But let me just squash your little uh, brain for just a minute, right? I've been doing this for a long time. And I know that it doesn't work that way. You'll find yourself at a well full of sand, constantly trying to find fulfillment in things that were never meant to fulfill you. Jesus is the, the, the ultimate fullness of God, fully dwelling in Jesus, and you will not find any fullness in any other place. Where are you placing your hope in? And, and the last point that I just wanted to present to us is, is he preeminent in our life? It, it's Jesus plus nothing. Is he over all things in our life? Is he over our relationships, our marriages, our children? Like, are we placing God at that central part in our life? Is he preeminent in your life? Is he preeminent? Is he the first? Is he the central thing in your family? Husbands, are you making Jesus the priority And I'm not talking at you, I'm talking to us. Is he the preeminent in your life? Is he our hope? If Christ sustains like all of the cosmos and and the entire universe, then Christ can sustain you. And, And this is why we place our hope. This is why we place him as preeminence in our life because if he is created all things for him by him through him and he is sustaining all things I'm going to put all my cards and chips on Jesus because he's the one sustaining me this is why I believe in Jesus because the word of God is clear in who he is He is the only way to eternal life. He is my shepherd and he guards and he protects me from the sins and the wicked desires of my heart. He is the door to eternal life with the Father. He is the vine. He is life. He is the light in the darkness of my soul that exposes it and brings me closer to him. He is our God. And that's why I believe in Jesus. Let's pray this morning.